is good to be a gangster. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the next episode of Trailblazing Terror of Headlong into Monsters, the ADHD of horror movie podcasts. I am Ragul, your elderly emo, coming at you from beautiful Tooele, Utah. In this part of the show, we take a second to spotlight upcoming creators in the horror genre, directors, writers, actors, and everyone in between. Uh, so stay out of the woods and keep that stereo away from the pool and join us as we dive headlong into monsters. This is episode two of Trailblazing Terror, and today we'll be talking to John Iceberg. Uh, John, am I saying that correctly? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Iceberg. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Uh, John is the writer-director of the film Final Summer, which debuted this year. I was fortunate enough to watch that, or to catch a screening of it over at Horror Hound in March. And I did actually talk to John um, back then. We did have about a 10 to... 10 to 12 minute interview. Uh, but when I was going over the audio, it was a little shaky and I just wanted to make sure that maybe we could uh, do a long form type of interview or uh, we could talk a little bit more about the film, you and your, your genre, your, your journey through the horror genre. So thank you so much for uh, yeah. talking to me today. Yeah. Thanks for talking again. Yeah. It was good to run into you the first time. So yeah. Is my, is my audio okay? Like level wise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're coming out pretty good. Uh, the reason I really enjoy the software is because I can bump everyone's audio individually. So even if you're a little low right now, I can just kind of bump you up later. Copy. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. So. Absolutely, man. Um, now, you're, can you tell us a little bit about, about uh, A Final mm-hmm. Summer? Just give us a, a brief synopsis about the movie and what it's about. Yeah, sure. Final Summer is a kind of a throwback to the summer camp slasher films and to the slasher films of the early 80s that I kind of grew up with as a kid. I wasn't allowed to see them. So I think the movies would kind of play out in my mind or on the way to school. My friends who were able to watch them would tell me about them. But basically, the film is about the uh, the final day at a summer camp in 1991. There's this kind of terrible accident that happens at the camp. And so then the uh, counselors are left to kind of close down the camp as a you know masked killer is in the back you know coming from <laughs> so that's yes that's my tired three year later pitch <laughs> as i'm totally exhausted by the journey but yeah 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 so that's been it's been fun it's been crazy so so uh what you described is a very similar or very easy premise a very simple premise um but when i watched the movie uh and did it did it screen for the first time at horror hound or had you guys already been making the circuit we we've been going through we we our initial premiere was at popcorn frights in august of uh 2022 and then we just been kind of like going through the rounds of the festivals and then i would recut the film after every festival too so it's probably like the 10th version <laughs> of the film by the time it made it to horror hound so so yeah but uh i think that's about right yeah so oh that's cool so the uh y- y- the film recently came out uh on wide release uh people can now stream it buy it i i bought it the second i found out <laughs> it was available to purchase i bought it digitally Thank you. <laughs> <Thanks so laughs> absolutely much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course, man. I've been wanting, I've been waiting to see this movie again since, uh, since horror hound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not- but so is, is the version that's out right now for purchase? Is that the version that premiered at horror hound? I think there might've been a couple tweaks to it. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> it's, been, it's been so crazy and so long. I know that the last, the last kind of pieces that I put in were, um, there was, uh, 
Oh, this guy, Slavi, uh, he's a uh, kind of an electronic artist. We met at Popcorn Frights, actually, and he kind of came on with a, a theme song for the for the film. It's kind of like this kind of throwback synth, um, kind of almost Carpenter-esque kind of score. And then um, that was kind of about it, I think. It was just a couple extra pieces of uh, sound design and all of that stuff. So, yeah. So it's been crazy. Awesome. Um, now... Well, like I was saying about the premise, it seems so simple. Uh, and it's a, it's, it's a story we've all seen hundreds of times before, you know, teens in the woods, summer camp, slasher, dark setting. Uh, it, it's so simple. Um, but I did love how original it felt, how modernized it felt while still staying true to um, like its eighties roots. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want to like, throw give anything away you know kind of spoiler free because i really want people to be intrigued enough to check out the movie um but with i I will say there's a certain character that kind of makes it to the end and uh other tropes that are are played upon but then subverted so like what 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 did you kind of do to keep things uh to to pay homage to old slasher movies but also try and keep like keep things new like, yeah. What was your frame of mind? Um, well, it's interesting. So I based a lot of it on personal experience, like as a survivor, um, just in my personal life, I, I went through a very terrifying relationship with someone who ended up being like a you know, total psycho sociopath and they say anti-social personality disorder. But um, it was pretty terrifying. And I had a lot of PTSD. I went through gaslighting and, and every kind of trick in the book, really. And, and so um I just really related to the final girl a lot. And so I wanted to put a lot of what I had been through into those films. Cause I could see how in some films it is very similar. And also when you go through something so crazy, it's hard to really relate to anything normal. And I think the interesting thing was when I was looking at it like that, there were lots of things that I realized cause you brought up the tropes, which is a fascinating thing. And I, it's been interesting to watch it, to, to see people re- respond to the film now that it's out, because I think that the tropes are such an interesting thing because they can be a hurdle, but they can also be like kind of a map. But sometimes it's interesting when I see people watch it and they're like, it's like they almost have like these, uh, oh, the killer has to be a big and bulky. Like the, there has to be a, a final monologue at the end. There has to be this, that, and the other thing. And, and it was kind of like, in, in a way for us, I think that it was a way to kind of take a lot of the stuff I went through and be more intentional about the things that we didn't want to do. And so I think, so like, to me, it's like, I knew just from my own personal experience, I never got that, you know, villain monologue at the end that made everything make sense because they would never do that. And so, or to go to like some of the scene, some of the pieces at the final end of the film, you know, why a killer or, you know, like I, I thought about scream a lot at the end of the film and how, you know, Stu, if he was a real psychopath or if Billy was a real psychopath, he would have killed Billy, you know, because it makes no sense why. Uh, or sorry, let me flip that around. <laughs> I'm a little tired here. But um, but just just to kind of subvert some of those uh, those tropes. And, and I think in a way that kind of came from my own personal experience. And then, you know, part of it, I think, too, was I wanted to really really think about like what would you really do if you were in a slasher film and not not what you think you would do you know because i've already heard that mm-hmm. from people like oh the killer showed up that should have been the perfect time for everybody like take him out i'm like 
that's what you think you'd do. <laughs> but the reality is, you know, I've, I've worked in bars for a long time. I saw so many bar fights, all these kinds of things. And people think they would do things. But the reality is fear and being in shock and and kind of, you know, and sometimes it takes a, a second or two to really understand the, the true danger of a situation you're in. And so that was really fun to kind of play with that with the film. So sorry if I'm rambling a little bit. My, it's been a long oh, day. no, no, no worries. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that you say that uh, it, it came from like your own experiences and, and, and trauma and all these like these negative experiences that you've had in your life. It almost sounds like you use this movie as like a, like a, like a therapy couch, a, a yeah. personal <laughs> therapy session to kind of work that some of that stuff out. Yeah. Would, 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 am I correct in assuming that? I think, you know, it's funny. It's like I, I, ha I used to have much worse PTSD, but I think just in the process of making the film, it's gotten a lot better <laughs> because, you know, it's just it was I've never done anything this hard before. You know, I was in I was in the, the army. I was in bands for a long time. I used to tour. I taught middle school students with emotional disabilities. They all had PTSD. Uh, I don't think I've ever done anything as hard as make a film. So I think it just, you know, in some ways it really kind of, toughens toughens you up a bit but um i would say you know just to just to the personal side of it i would say that there were things that i was always a little concerned that i was too close to a lot of the material and or the subject matter in the film where it's like it makes sense to me but it might not make sense to anybody else who hasn't been through that thing and you know recently i was talking <laughs> with some a friend of mine about you know uh, a lot of these kind of like more famous horror icons um, like, so take Hannibal Lecter, right? It's probably the, the better example because obviously Jason Voorhees is not a psycho. He's like a, a murder zombie. He's like Jaws in the woods, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and even with like Michael Myers, it's like, he's pure evil and that's all he is. I'm like, well, that's, there's not that much interesting there. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I think for me, it was interesting to take, uh, Hannibal Lecter, and how to communicate to the audience, like what he is. And then I was watching Silence of the Lambs, and then I watched Red Dragon recently. I was like, oh, they're literally telling you, the audience, what Hannibal Lecter is before you ever meet him. You know, so Doctor was whatever is like, oh, yeah, he's this and that. He, he ate somebody's tongue and never you know, lost a beat with his heart rate or whatever. And then as soon as you meet him, then it's, oh, he's, uh, this is what the Tooth Fairy is, or this is what Biff Buffalo Bill is. I think for us, it was interesting because we didn't really have that moment to say, this is the person, this is what they are. It kind of happens in a reveal. And I was joke I was talking with someone today about, you know, oh, like, you know, because like the whole like lack of the monologue at the end, the lack of the, uh, you know, why they would do something. And, and a big part of me is, like I said before, it's like you never get that in real life because they're continuing to gaslight you but then the other part of it was like that the person got interrupted <laughs> well as they were about to give their grand speech and then through their narcissism they just shoot the shoot the person that was interrupting them and and so i, I think it's kind of funny to in, in some ways it's, it's a weird perspective to have had those experiences to where i can put that into the film in a way that probably feels really odd to people but to me is like well, this is what would probably happen you know so <laughs> Well, really I, I think, 
Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, but that that interruption of the monologue, because we start to get the monologue yeah. at the end, <laughs> you know, the, the, the master plan and the reasons right. and all this whatnot. Yeah. And then we get, and, and that's what I mean by you introduce a trope and then you kind right. of subvert it, you know, you boot yeah. it out the window and it's stuff like that. And that, that type of stuff is peppered all throughout the movie, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, but that that is what I was talking about when I was when I mentioned uh, the, the tropes, and even though they're there, it stays original. And honestly, I I was okay not really having motivation. You know, I, right. I, I don't want to say too much because we're we're dangerously close to like spoiler territory right there. But um, it, it's uh, I I thought it was great to be honest. I wasn't. I, I was all on board for that. Yeah, I guess for me, it's like I, I kind of consider like what people like that are like. And, and, and to me, it's like what is what is like supposed to be the most valuable thing for you? Something that you would hold dear uh, relationships, people, family, a place, all of these kinds of things, I think, is greeted with so much resentment and bitterness uh from that kind of personality or whatever. So it's like they literally destroy the thing that they're meant to Uh, cherish or protect or something you know and so I think that was like where I was coming from with it and then if you know we're if with part two a lot of this stuff would come out more because it's it's not because the other thing too is I was always thinking about it as like this happens over one night so unless these are like Batman or the world's greatest detectives even the police are not going to solve the mystery (laughs) after within 24 hours they're just going to be met with a lot of confusion as like what the heck does this mean and I got yeah. this thing. I don't understand what this is. There's these other pieces. And so I always looked at it like there's a big plan that is 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 an action throughout the film that you see pieces of, which went back to a lot of the things that I lived through, which is that, you know, I, you know, with gaslighting came like lots of pathological line and then there'd be like props in these lies and just just things that never made sense. And so at the end of the, I remember like so many nights, like trying to go to sleep and being like, well, wait a second, what does that mean? Or like, <laughs> you know, it, it just never really added up. And it was later on when I, I realized when I thought I had solved the puzzle, I really lo- realized I was looking at like one side of like a Rubik's cube that would change. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of, so I think, it, but obviously I think this is where like, I've kind of learned the audience needs more than just, questions to think about later <laughs> you know yeah but absolutely so, um yeah. it, it, it i mean it's so crazy that it's it's still so personal to yourself because i mean when you look at great horror movies and whatnot <laughs> um a lot of it seems to stem from very personal experiences and and horror is a great way that i've seen um where people can take the genre of horror and and really make something of it, you know, channel channel terrible things that have happened, mm-hmm. uh, whether to themselves or uh, in society or zeitgeist. I mean, take George Romero and his work seemed to always be related to deep personal, maybe not personal, but uh, societal meanings yeah. and stuff like that. So uh, horror is a, an amazing genre in that aspect. Um, so I, I think it's really crazy or really yeah. awesome. Um, that you use the genre in, in a very yeah. similar way. That, that's really cool. Um, yeah. I do have a question about sure. uh, the killer. Sure. Because in, in, in a, any 80s you know, slasher killer movie, 
one of the biggest things is the killer's appearance. Yeah. Um, uh, now, without giving anything away, the killer is wearing, uh, I can really get a, look, a good look at their pants, but they have uh, an army jacket and this really cool, uh, almost like a, uh, like a morph face mask that it has like a skull printed on it, which I yeah. thought was really cool. That that's a great look. Um, if I could find a way to replicate that mask, I would absolutely love to be the killer for like right. Halloween or something. Yeah, um, you can get to the, actually, there's a company called Faux Rio out of Minnesota that makes that mask, and so they were great, uh, gracious, and let us uh, like, kind of use it for the film. You know, because I always go back to um, Wes Craven's Scream and how they they found this pre-existing mask. And they tried to make other masks, but they just never kind of lived up to that one. And the funny, so a couple of things on the mask was I kind of, I, I wanted something where you could conceivably hide it in your pocket if you wanted to, you know, so you could be there with everybody else, like, like, oh yeah, the killer must have ran that way, but you'd have it in your pocket. And then yeah. the other thing at the time, to- at in 1991, I, I remember that like Lycra bike shorts were like really hot at the time. Like everybody was wearing Lycra this and that and the other thing. So I was like, well, it kind of fits with the time period that people like the killer might have like a like or a mask that's much more form fitting or whatever. Like I just remember. Everybody, I, I, what's up? Sorry. No, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just remember like everybody wearing like Lycra bike shorts under like Umbro soccer shorts and, you know, like layers. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of, it was just a like 91 was such a weird time for like style and, and it's kind of, it's just this interesting crossroads of like, you have Nirvana, but then you have Beverly Hills 90210, and then you have Boys to Men and stuff like that. So it's just a weird cultural shift from like the 80s into the 90s and this weird no man's land, I guess. But uh, but no, I it was funny because I, I spent, I had a hell of a time trying to find a good looking skull mask that wasn't corny looking. Like every single mask I saw was like super corny or mm-hmm. ill-fitting. And I tried to, every time I tried to find somebody, it was like, oh, you know, we can make that for you, but it's like 5,000 bucks. Everything was like five grand or something. So I was like, well, this is like nine ninety nine on Amazon. <laughs> so, and I, I, I bought it and I, I put it on in my house and I just did one of those shots from like um, Halloween, you know, when like Michael Myers comes out of the darkness in the door frame. And as soon as I saw that on camera, I was like, that's the one. Cause it just looked, I, I wanted it to feel emotionless, you know, kind of like dead and emotionless, but with the Lycra to have it feel like you could tell someone is under there or under the mask, like breathing and thinking. And so, so it was kind of, so that was, the, it was just kind of like the luck of finding that, you know, cause I, you know, again, I, Jason, the hockey mask, Michael Myers, that Kirk, you know, like the William Shatner mask, all that stuff. It's like lucky accident sometimes I think. So. Yeah. Um, will you, would you do me a favor and uh, sometime would you would you actually send me a link to where oh, I yeah. can purchase the mask? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's no problem. <laughs> awesome, man. I because yeah. I, I would love to have that on the shelf. Oh, um, yeah. And then the army jacket was from that was actually my field jacket when I was in the in the army. So uh, <laughs> I by the way, ra- thank you for your service. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just I took a razor and like uh, kind of just roughed it up a little bit and um, and plus it's like with with the Warren, sorry, uh, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but I, <laughs> one of the characters who's a red herring, I wanted to kind of 
allude to a military background, you know, so in case you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's the guy kind of a thing. And so so that was kind of, you know, it's you, you throw these out there and when you're writing, you think they might make sense and <laughs> you realize you lose half the people later on. So, you know, you do what you can. But. Well, I, I think it makes sense. Maybe not so much on the first viewing, right. um, because the first time I saw this movie, um, I, I thought it was pretty kind of paint by the numbers at, at, at horror hound. I thought it was pretty paint by the numbers until about halfway through the second act. Hmm. Um, and then that's when I really started to appreciate the nuances of it. Hmm. Um, and when uh, uh, appreciating the second half more than the first half is what really made me want to go back and see the movie. And unfortunately I had to wait months and months and months and months <laughs> to do that. But yeah. Um, just as, I mean, since I've bought it, I've watched it maybe three more times. Oh, wow. and I, I, I have to say the movie is so much better in my opinion yeah. on subsequent viewings, because you can really pick out, um, more things, more little nuances or, yeah. um, uh, you know, the maybe directions of red herrings or yeah. where you wanted to focus attention or yeah. to draw the viewer's attention or just little things like that. There's so many little things that are, yeah. you can really appreciate more on a second, third, Thanks. fourth viewing. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Cause I think I, I was telling the cast and crew this cause I was, I was like, okay, like it's going to come out and we might most likely, I think, I, I feel like, the thing when you're making a film is like you kind of know what it is, but you also don't really know what it is because mm-hmm. I feel like context comes later. You know, like you take a band, like, you know, like there's this, you know, like a, you know, bands in Manchester in like the seventies and they're like, Hey, Joy Division, that sounds like an awesome name. And they're like, what the hell is that? You know, kind of thing. But then now I say Joy Division and you have this great idea of like this black and white photography in Manchester. It's very industrial and the songs are great. I kind of think that about a movie too, with like a, even with a slasher film that's so in the mold of this thing. And then, and I kind of felt like, you know, with the imagery of, you know, like the killer and the camp, it's like we were going to get all these people coming expecting that. And then they'd be like, well, this sucks. <laughs> because, <laughs> this movie obviously is bad. And, and I was like, I was telling like the cast and crew, it's like, don't, don't think too much about things at first because I think that our audience, like I've kind of seen even going through, the film festivals it's like there are people that are going to really kind of embrace the film and i think like when i talk to uh like like women that have come up and said like they really identify with like the survivor aspect of the film and and then even to go to like all of the diversity of the cast and like the body types and stuff too i think it's cool because you know you go to horror con and there's so many different kinds of people at a horror con you know mm-hmm. and i, I kind of love it and i think sometimes it's, I feel like, you know, you go to see a movie, but you don't see yourself on the screen. It's like, what's the, you know, it's hard to relate to that. You know, I I think that's when you want the killer to just kill everybody. (laughs) You know, it's like in the early 2000s, I remember all of the, uh, it was like, everyone was like totally beautiful and a super jock. And I hated every single one of those films. And so you just were rooting for like the villain. But, um, you know, uh, I think I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I'm a little bit uh, tired, scattered right now, but um, I just think, um, you know, sorry, what were you saying again? No worries. The tropes and stuff. No, I think it's, um, you know, I think like with repeated viewings, I think things make more sense. Like even my gaffer who uh, this, uh, my friend Barrett, who's 
he's also a writer and a filmmaker out of, LA, out of LA. And we've been talking a lot about the story for part two. And he was like showing the film to some of his friends. He's like, man, like this kind of gets better every time. You know, I didn't realize all these pieces. <laughs> and I've had other people say like, dude, I've watched it three times already. What the hell? I've seen it like a thousand times. <laughs> but I, I, I bet you have. Yeah. But I, I think it's like, there are things in the film that like you start to connect later on. You're like, Oh, this is the thing. This is the thing. And I, cause I, and, and I think the challenge that I, I saw this in a re review the other day, and it kind of went to the heart of what uh, I talked about with Jenna Cohn, who played Lexi was that the hardest part about our film is the, is the, is this character Lexi or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, because they're so different from what you know a final girl to be because you know i know like trauma is a big thing in horror a lot a lot of films like deal with trauma and that seems to be like the hot buzzword for the last couple of years but like this i really wanted to show that side because i have ptsd i taught kids with emotional uh, development disabilities for four years while i had ptsd my dad he was a paramedic for 35 years he had ptsd and so I really wanted to put those themes in and and even to go to that other character who's kind of the red herring that we meet later on in the film, they kind of represent two different sides of me. I think the, the one Lexi character is kind of who I was coming out of it, very fight or flight. It's like the whole film is fight or flight. In fact, I think we talked about this before, but I feel like the, the one reason she seems to survive in the film is because she's in that fight or flight. And when your body is in that, your physiological response is not to think about it. Like, let's solve the mystery of Old Man Withers yeah. in the Haunted Music Park. It's like, let's get the hell out <laughs> of here. Like, you know, because when I taught kids who were in that zone, you know, it's like they had this tunnel vision. And they, like, look at you. And if you were just in front of them when they were in that space, you know, because we'd have to clear the classroom because they were so, they get so aggressive, you know. And if you, if you just caught their eye, it's like they'd want to, like, just kill you you know and i looked at this one kid was like the sweetest kid short little dude sixth grader man he would take your head off <laughs> when he was in that space and so i felt like with with the lexi character because she is in that she's you, you see a lot of it where she just getting the hell out of there kind of thing and it's her physiological response to what's happening and if you watch the movie it's like really because she's in that tunnel at the beginning, it's like only when she starts to kind of do more activity and walk around in the forest that she starts to kind of come out of her shell. And so I think that was, so like there's a scene in the forest between her and Peter where they're walking and he's trying to tell her about like scary movies. And so she's like, all right, jerk, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, like throw it back in your face. And she, she comes mm -hmm. in with that story, you know, just to kind of give it back to him, you know? And, and I remember that's like the one moment where you start to see who she was before the, the emergency. Because the other problem we had was like, I had to chop the first 10 pages of the script off because it was we were shooting during COVID and kids weren't vaccinated yet. And the scene called for like 20 kids <laughs> and they were gonna be like walking all over the camp. And then like, that's where you'd see the accident, but we had to cut all that. And so it was just kind of things like that that kind of made it, because we would have seen her kind of more upbeat and, and personable at the beginning, but you know. Again, it's like, you know, what's on the screen is what the audience sees, not the the things that you didn't do. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I honestly think that not seeing her uh, at the beginning as like a quote unquote normal person, um, we, we don't really lose much because yeah. um, all, all, all we know of her 
from the time that we see her is that she's she's kind of broken. She's emotionally damaged. She's mentally right. destroyed. Um, it it kind of seems like while everyone, I mean, at, at one point a camper goes missing and they're all looking around and then she does have that interaction with Peter, like you mentioned. Um, but up until that point, it just kind of seems like everything's happening around her. Like she, right. she's kind of just lost inside of herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, especially because of how or why exactly it's explained. And we know it's, it's a mystery. We get, you know, yeah. glimpses of stuff throughout the movie, but we don't know the extent as to why everything's so effective. We don't know the meaning behind some of the symbolism we see until at the very end, when we have two characters kind of bonding and relating to each other over shared uh, personal drama that is very different from one another. Right. But it, it 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 helps these characters see each other in yeah. a more personal light, and I thought that was a beautiful resolution to this oh, movie. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I just I remember. Um, so with that other character, I kind of based a bit of it on my dad, and then I I worked with this uh, this vet like a, like probably like twenty years back, but he was a SEAL and he was in he was in Vietnam, and I remember. You know, sometimes he would get triggered by stuff and he was like a maintenance worker at this, you know, like this uh, YMCA I was working at. And that dude would like he would look very scary, but she realized that it's really just the triggers of the PTSD. And so I thought it'd be interesting to have this character if you think about him, like, you know, and if he's he was actually working at the camp, if he was in that kind of triggered space, he might just be staring off. But to people that don't understand that, they might look kind of creepy or kind of scary. And so it's so I kind of wanted to kind of bring those elements into the film to show that, you know, it's pretty complex what PTSD can look like. I mean, sometimes when it's younger, oh, sorry. Oh, and sometimes when you're, you know, like, as kids, like all the kids can look like they have ADHD, but that's what PTSD also looks like. And then, you know, when you're in that space, it can look scary to your friends, family and stuff like that. And so that's why I thought it'd be interesting to create this kind of boogeyman character where like everybody in the camp just always, you know, like, oh, it's probably that Warren guy. He's, he's just creepy and whatever. But it's really that they're misinterpreting his kind of in the tunnel as as, you know, creepy killer guy in the woods kind of a thing. So. Anyway, yeah, I'm really No, I mean, uh, this this is what the interview is all about, man. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. <laughs> so we've we've talked about the movie a lot. We've talked about kind of the creation of some of the characters and the killer mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I really hope uh, listeners are intrigued enough to check out the movie. Uh, but I did want to ask you a little bit about the making of the movie because when we spoke at horror hound you said that it was riddled with like <laughs> difficulties and people pulling out money people trying to steal this idea from you uh, oh, yeah. can you elaborate some of that for the listeners sure yeah um i had these equity investors that tried to steal the film from us four days before we went into production um they i had uh, met them through a kind of a this other uh, kind of professional connection. He was a producer out in LA. He was a pretty good guy. I would pitch, um, you know, just different show ideas to him sometimes. And I did a lot of documentary. His, his main thing was like, kind of like more like reality, you know, unscripted TV or whatever. But anyway, he, he's like, well, I know these guys, they might be pretty good for the project. You know, maybe we can bring them on or whatever. And so we, I talked to them, I pitched them on the, the film. 
you know, X, Y, and Z, this is what we need. And so they said, oh yeah, you know, we'd, we love the idea. We, we talked about it. We're going to bring on like 50 grand, like 50,000 bucks, which to me was like, giving me like a million bucks or whatever. Cause I've, I've always been like no budget, low budget. You know, like I think the most expensive thing I ever did was like a $5,000 music video that I turned into two music videos anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of love Roger Corman too. Like his whole philosophy of just, uh, you know, using, you know, being efficient and everything. And so 50 grand, that was like, it's kind of a dream to me because I feel like every filmmaker, you know, is always, you know, how do you get the money? Where'd you get the money? Da, da, da. Who's, you know, you're always looking for some, someone to believe in your idea. And here's people coming in with 50 grand. And so, you know, after they said, you know, welcome to the family, you know, all this kind of stuff, I, I was kind of in tears in a way because it was like the dream is happening. You know, this is finally going to happen. All of these years of, you know, working and doing all this free stuff is paying off. And, Anyway, so they, they said, all right, we're going to send it legal. It might look a little bit scary, but don't worry, it's coming. And so finally we got to like four days before production. <laughs> and uh, they sent it to me and I looked at it. One form was chain of title and this other one was called uh, copyright mortgage guarantee, which they talked about like it was a completion bond or something. And and it was like, oh, in case you run off to Vegas or something with our money. I'm like, you're giving me my like you're giving me money to make my dream happen. I've been doing a nonprofit workshops for like four years. Why would I run off with your money and not make my dream? This is the dumbest thing. <laughs> and so when I, and I realized that they were basically just stealing all of the IP, all the copyright, everything. So I was like, sorry guys, like you guys, no, like I can't, I can't do this. So I had to turn down their money. And uh, yeah, so then I did an emergency meeting with the cast and crew that night. Most, all the crew showed up, just a couple of actors showed up. And I was like, all right, this is what happened. I had to turn out all the money. And that money's going to help pay all of the rates for, for working on the film, you know. So can we, we had a $16,000 Kickstarter. I had like a couple 5K investors who were kind of putting money in. Um, we had enough to make the film and, you know, catering and all that stuff. And some people get paid. And then everybody else would have to take like deferments, which was like to me i was like well defer to me meant like all right i'm gonna pay you all in installments you know i'm just gonna work a bunch of jobs on the side shoot a bunch of commercials and just pay you guys from that because who knows you know if your film is going to get distribution one and two if the distributor is going to pay you you know because <laughs> mm -hmm. i've heard so many horror stories about that and i've met other filmmakers that have made you know like almost nothing on their film or got ripped off or something and so uh, to me i was like you know we can just get through this. I'm going to pay everybody as much as I can to finish the film. So we don't have to worry about the what ifs. We're just going to make it happen. So everybody agreed and we did it, but I was extremely stressed out. <laughs> I had like no sleep. I, I, I it was just, I was kind of a, just a mess. Uh, and it was my first film and I was like the director, producer, writer, editor, cinematographer. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been on films that had like half million dollar budgets. You know, like where the director is sitting at Video Village with, you know, just drinking a latte, telling everybody what to do all day long. <laughs> I, you know, and this was not bad at all. I mean, I was like every day with my lighting diagrams, you know, like moving C-stands. I was pulling, I was operating, pulling focus, going through all the stuff. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. I, I, I still think, I, I did a short film recently. We, it was like a night force exterior. And it's just like one couple of pages and I, I just the only thing I could say that when we were shooting was like I can't believe 
we did that movie <laughs> because this is hard. You know, it's like night force exterior is impossibly difficult. And uh, one of my friends is a DP who has much more experience than I do. He was like, every time a film comes across like a potential job, as soon as he sees like night force exterior, he like flags it. It's like, no, nah. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's really challenging and it'll, it'll break you. And I think that we were naive enough to not realize the scale or ambition of what we were trying to do, which was like just a film workshop with high school and college students trying to make like a 1980 studio film. You know, it, it was crazy. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it all worked out. And when you think historically, you think of all of these other movies that we now know as classics that were riddled with, uh, with, uh, production problems or filming problems or set problems, or it was just kind of a nightmare to make. I mean, you have Texas Chainsaw Massacre with all of their problems, uh, the evil dead with, with uh, their nightmare settings, the thing with uh, all, all of the shit they had to deal with oh, yeah. and trying to get the props to work. Jaws, the same thing, oh, trying God, to get yeah. Bruce the shark to work. <laughs> My gosh. So um, when it's crazy, do you think that, are, are you hopeful that one day, you will kind of be listed among these movies that had uh, like, like a nightmarish start and uh, almost an impossible task, um, but came out on top. I, I remember hearing your story and it reminds me of something that I always love to tell myself. Um, cause it's a, it's a little mantra that I've told myself throughout the hottest times of my life uh, when it's always seemed the darkest. Uh, I always tell myself, uh, you don't know how strong you can be mm. until being strong is your only option. Hundred percent, and that's uh, that's everything to do with the film. I mean, that's the that's kind of everything to do with the story, not of just making the film, but also the story of the film and kind of the inspiration for it. And I remember getting out of that situation I went through, which was a total horror movie in itself, and and to feel. Like you didn't get the best of me. I'm still here standing after every last obstacle you threw in my way. And I, I, I'm so grateful for the cast and the crew for sticking through it, you know, cause in the middle of it, we even had like a mute and almost mutiny. <laughs> you know, I, I had a disagreement about the, the, the shoot schedule and stuff with somebody. Cause I'd, I'd gone to the camp like months in advance to kind of plan the thing. And, and I, I, I think the schedule was not quite what I was, thought it was and then this guy kind of walked and and then the next day that turned into i fired him and he sent out this email to everybody telling everybody to walk off the set and i'm a giant jerk i'm never gonna get distro all this kind of stuff but he is the only one that left and you know obviously it, it was sad because you know he's a friend of mine and i feel like the stress is the thing you know it's something i think it's that's the thing that i kind of learned is like film is always at the best of days it's stressful at the worst of days it's completely stressful <laughs> and so you just have to kind of be aware of your stress and how it impacts others. Cause I think that that was the thing that probably really kind of escalated the situation. It was just, and then everybody's, you know, everybody reacts differently. You know, some people just blow up and like tell everybody to walk off the set and some people blow up and I'll kick an apple box or whatever and look like an idiot and laugh about it later, you know, stuff like that. But I yeah. think like, like one of my friends told me that like a, uh, a completed film and I'm talking like any completed film, like bad, good, whatever, is a miracle. And I think our film was like that too. And I mean, it would be a huge honor to be ever thought of in those in those films' footsteps. I think that uh, there's been a lot of weird synchronicity on this one, like just weird 
like there's a saying like Spielberg talks about like listen to the whispers because the universe doesn't shout at you like this is what you need to do it'll kind of whisper and I've had so many strange things happen on this one from like when I went to go um, talk to Aaron Munoz who he played Barb's dad in season two of Stranger Things but he taught acting for camera at U of I for all these uh, BFA and acting students and so a lot of them like I went to him to act to talk about casting when I got in the elevator to go talk to him, <clears throat> this guy got on with me who had like a blue, like mechanics suit or, you know, mechanics jumpsuit carrying like a big kitchen knife. I'm like, mm-hmm. it looks exactly like Michael Myers without a mask. And I just started laughing. I'm like, what are the odds? And even recently I met like, just, you know, just, just the, I think the universe whispers to you. So I think it would be, it'd be amazing. I think there's, to what you said, I think there's just something about this film that keeps going forward. It's weird, you know. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so I I don't I don't want to call it too early, but I I, I think the look of this movie, or the, the feel of this movie, the look of the killer, uh, the use of stereotypes and subverting expectations. I feel like uh, if if enough people get to see this movie, um then I, I think it could have, it could start to have a cult following and hopefully uh, that, that following can grow. And I, re- I really hope that, you know, uh, maybe not uh, the most well-known movie. I mean, when you talk to people about uh, actors nowadays, uh, let's take Ty West, for instance, and, right. and how everyone is crazy about, Pearl and X and super excited for Maxine. Um, but a lot of, a lot of his uh, earlier movies, I mean, one of my favorite movies of him will always be the innkeepers. Oh yeah. I love that um, one. Great. <laughs> absolutely. So I, I hope one yeah. day um, the final girls can be like the innkeepers of your right. uh, filmography, you know, and, and people can look at look like true fans can, uh, of yours and, and your work, they can look back at it and be like, oh, this is where he started. Right. And and re- kind of know that deeper cut. You know, I, I really feel like maybe 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 we'll see that happen. I hope. I mean, that's always the hope, I think, is like, you know, I, I think, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm, I have ADD, so I kind of go off on these tangents that eventually get back to the point. So I apologize for. <laughs> but I, I just remember hearing about this director who was in Illinois and central Illinois. And she had made two films. And so I went, I drove like 70 miles to go have coffee with her because I wanted to hear how you made your second film, you know, because I feel like the first one's insane. And so the second one's actually to get through that gauntlet and be like, I'm going to go back to that again, you know. And I think you just learn so much on it. Uh, And this was my first film. I was wearing so many hats. We had so little resources except each other. And I think even to go to, to seeing it on the big screen has been educational too in, in terms of like, kind of like your shot size and your composition and kind of, and kind of like what do you want to do going forward? So it's been really, the whole, the whole process has been really educational. Even to go to part two, I feel I'm excited about, cause I feel like everything that I've kind of learned from the first one to take it into another film and elevate it a bit more. And also to give it more of its own personality is, is exciting. You know um, it's just, it's just such an education more than anything, you know, I've ever done, <laughs> you know, getting your, getting your butt kicked every day, but it, you mm-hmm. learn so much. And so I think that's why to me, yeah, like you bring up Ty West and it's like, yeah, he didn't, he didn't make X out of the gate. He didn't make Pearl out of the gate. You know, he went way back 
And even then, I think didn't he do? Uh, he did like a he wrote or directed Cabin Fever or something. Wait, or he wrote part two, right? Oh uh, uh, yeah, uh, Cabin Fever, Spring Fever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Which was he did like, direct that. Yeah, but he, he, he was a House of the Devil. It's probably one of my favorite early Ty West films. Oh, I absolutely love love that movie. Yeah, yeah um, Ty West really did not like the studio mm-hmm. interference and the rewrites and the uh, and whatnot. So he actually did kind of take his name off of uh, Cabin Fever two. Right. Uh, if you look, if you look it up on IMDb right now, it, it's directed by Alan Smithy. Smithy, yeah, um, yeah. But 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 he he did it. He he just took his name off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's interesting because I think that I think like when I see, I try, I try not to read too many reviews anymore because I feel like I think the interesting thing for me was to see like some of the negative reviews and I can understand like when it's like budget limitations and stuff like that or like it's just kind of personal taste or whatever. But um. I think it sometimes it's interesting to see the negative reviews and, and realize that they're having problems with kind of the direction we took. And, and that was kind of the point of it was to feel the frustration of not knowing these things. But um, sorry. Uh, but yeah, just um, I think, you know, you know, to, to, I think everybody starts somewhere and everybody learns and you're never going to make your perfect film out of the gate, you know, unless you're you're. M. Night Shyamalan and you had Kathleen Kennedy <laughs> yeah. you know, moving the, you know, like doing Sixth Sense, which is to me, it was like an amazing film, you know, and, and just like, but, you know, low budget indie horror, you don't have that luck, <laughs> you know, so, so you're, you're, you're kind of grinding it out and you're learning and it's, I mean, even to go back to Roger Corman, I mean, like Martin Scorsese, Ron Howard, all these great filmmakers kind of got their start just just workshopping it you know so so i i hope to be there someday you know i i i believe you can man i believe you can i, I love this movie and i i, I want to see this go uh somewhere both both the story of the movie itself and your career um yeah. i i want to see both of those things take off because i'm and 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 you said for the second one i i don't want to ask too much because because I, I love to kind of go into things uh, blind, right. yeah. um, but you, we, you do plan to have a two and a three, right? You, uh, you said that when we spoke at Horrorhound. Yeah, because kind of like the, I, the idea I always had was to me, like Final Summer is like this forgotten franchise from the eighties that you never heard about till much later. You know, it, and that was kind of like the uh, the angle I was taking on, almost like a, was it the third Saturday in October? You know, like those films with the part one and part five and. <laughs> Yeah, I always wanted it to feel like a lost franchise that you just never heard about. And so part one for me, the theme is fight or flight. Part two was going to be that second stage of of coming out of the gaslighting where where, you know, you're kind of, you know, there's a sense of what's real. And then there's this confusion over what you've been told. And so it's like the second one is almost chaotic in a way. It's like even more chaos because you don't because you're you're kind of in that throes of the gaslighting. And so I think the second one will be interesting because I feel like it's much darker. And I feel like the third one is really kind of the triumph of everything. So it's kind of interesting. I'm actually really excited if we ever get to a third to kind of take it full circle, but do it in a, in a different way that I think will be really fun. And so the second one though, I, I think is, is also a personal film, but it's personal in the sense that so much of it 
like I was in, I was in bands most of my twenties. I used to tour all over. I, I probably, I played like in Utah and all, all these places, just me and like three friends in a van and stuff. And so I kind of love, so I, I wanted to kind of root it in, in 1993 in the college scene in my town where there was all these house parties and DIY venues and record stores and, and DJs and, and zines and stuff. And so it's like, now you, to me, it's like, I was never camp counselor, but I was in, in bands. And so to me, it's, I'm excited because I feel like the characters can have more depth a bit and there's more relationships there. There's more kind of just interest and every, so all these kind of fun inside jokes that I know having done it myself. So, so I think to me, it's like, I'm really excited for that one, <laughs> you know, and, and then, and then to get into like the, all right, the horror fans need some more blood, even though I was originally going for a hol- like the original Halloween level of blood, which was, there was not really any blood <laughs> in John Carpenter's Halloween, but what are you going to do? So, but I'm excited for part two. I think, uh, I just think it's again, like, I feel like the, like the exciting thing I think is just meeting all of you guys through the festivals, through the horror cons, listening to all of you and getting to laugh and share about all these films. Like, you know, you got the scream thing on and I can't tell you how many times I talked to people. I, I had one, I was like a horror hound. I think one guy, two guys were like slowly walking away from me as I was still talking to them about horror. <laughs> but it's, it's a <laughs> like, all right, well, we got to go now. And I'm like, oh yeah, what about this? You know, but I, I just, I love it. And I think it's been, that's been an education for me too, to kind of see more where, what people want to see, not just to give them what they want to see. Cause I know that's another hurdle or, you know, that could be a potential pitfall, Yeah, but, but to take it and kind of make it a little bit more your own and bring everything that you learn. So, so for that one, I'm excited. I know Tom Matthews is back in a much bigger role. There's, there's some, uh, some other horror kind of classic actors that are coming with this one too. So it's and some new faces too, and some more of the new movies. So, I'm excited, oh, man. man. It's, it's like the the third act, like set the set piece of the third act. I'm like super stoked on because it's like it's gonna be. I'm I'm really excited for that one. It's gonna be really fun. <laughs> oh, do do you have like an estimated date of completion that we can check it out? Do Do you think you'll try to get it to premiere at Horror Hound again? Because oh, yeah. I mean, if if you do, I I'll, I'll be there, man. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna shoot next summer, um, probably later in the summer, but then. But, I'm hoping to spend way less time on post. Cause I think I edited it like 14 months. It took me to edit, this, edit the film. Oh, wow. <laughs> and normally it's like five weeks, but I would go, you know, we were running so fast that there were a lot of times where like I missed that insert shot or whatever. So I would go back to the camp on my own and like shoot an insert. There, there are scenes in the film that is just me under the mask, you know, because we didn't get the thing and I was out of money. So I would show, I would just put the camera out there, get my friend to shoot me. <laughs> chasing the guy through the forest or whatever, <laughs> you know, but um, I'm hoping if, if we shoot it next fall, I would love to be ready to have it ready to go by the following year, especially the, like the spring genre film festival circuit. So like horror hound and, and uh, you know, panic fest and uh, maybe even like fright, fright fest UK and stuff like that. But uh, macabro Knoxville, I mean, there's like a, tons of great, you know, film fest and horror cons too. Days of the Dead, you know all that stuff. So, yeah, but, uh, I, I recently found out about I can't remember, I cannot remember what it's called, but there it will be a horror movie convention uh, or a horror movie uh, film festival uh, here in Utah in St. George, Utah. 
yeah. uh, I, I, uh, halfway through October. And I'm really, really hoping because right now I'm broke as shit. So <laughs> I'm really hoping that I can get some money to go. I, I, I have this welding commission yeah. um, that I'm hoping I can complete here within a week or two. And if I get enough money from that job, then I'm hoping that I can just use that money to go to that film festival because it, it would be so cool, you know? Oh yeah. Do, do I hear you on that, man? I, I'm, I'm so broken. <laughs> it's like our, our film came out like two weeks ago or maybe three weeks ago in like the U S but they told me like, Oh, by the way, your film comes out, comes out tomorrow. I was like, what? <laughs> so, so I was just, I was just every cent I had, I put into like promo and stuff on just so we could do anything there. Cause you know, it's just, it's just the things you learn, you know, it's so crazy, but no, that, so now I'm like, got like 20 bucks to my name till payday basically. But uh, yeah, I hear that. So you, you weld then? Is that- uh, yeah, I, well, my, for my occupation is um, uh, general maintenance uh, with specialty and electrical uh, and elect- electrical for Tooele County school district. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I do a lot of stuff, but um, I'm taking trade classes uh, over at the local trade college and I'm learning more electrical pneumatics. I just finished a welding course. Nice. Uh, and that was one of the funnest things I've ever learned in school. Um, yeah. so I, I mean, I bought my own, I bought my own gear, like my own welding jacket. Oh, hood. Yeah. I recently bought my own welder and I'm really excited to maybe do some small welding commissions on the side, maybe to get a little money. A uh, little bit more money and uh-huh. help fund my incredibly expensive hobbies, which <laughs> primarily are just mountain biking and yeah. podcasting. So that there's that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That made me think when you said welding of that uh, kill from Halloween Ends, which to me was like the most horrific one in the film when a guy gets the torch to the mouth. Do you, you remember that one at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. uh, what was it? I, I believe it was an acetylene torch. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or maybe a Ugh, horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's that that type of torch is more for like soldering and stuff. But it, right, yeah. oh my goodness, they 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 get real hot. So yeah, yeah. I was just thought, thought the the idea that what was he? he's like we're in the the Evan band. I'm like that's hilarious to me that like the jerks in the film are like band people because I was in band in high school and I'm like <laughs> like how do they make that's like to me that that's the most implausible thing about Halloween Ends was like that the band guys. We're like the the punks, <laughs> like, right? For, okay. First of all, first of all, how is how's the guy that got beat up by the fucking band nerds? And I say I say that because I was also a band nerd oh, yeah. all four years of high school. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what played, what did, what did you play? I played a cornet. So uh, I used to get awesome. mocked all the time. People would be like in the stands, like like oh, iceberg. I'd be out there, like you know, playing and stuff. But what, what was your instrument? Uh, I was in the drum line, so I played drums. Okay. Oh, you're cool then. You're you're like the cool ones then. Yeah, I feel like because yeah. I was still kind of like it was like early enough in the '90s that the saxophone was still cool. So I remember when, like in the in the mid '80s when the saxophone was like the thing. Every I feel like every orchestra had like 25 saxophones or whatever, like tenor sax or whatever, and then everybody <laughs> or like the one tuba guy or something just laying it down. But yeah, no, that Halloween ends. I don't know. Did you like it? Uh, no, no, I did not. <laughs> so you're in the, the majority, I take it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, did did you enjoy the movie? I did, actually, and, and I caught a lot of grief for, like, liking the film. I remember one guy was like, no, 
you're wrong. You just can't like it at all. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so I think that kind of helped me to, to realize that, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has, you know, opinions about everything, you know, but I actually really did like Halloween ends a lot, but I think I liked it for what it, what it was and what it versus what it wasn't, you know, cause it's like, everybody's like, Oh, it's going to be the ultimate showdown with like ja- with Jamie Lee and Michael. I'm like, dude, we saw that the previous movie and the previous movie before that. And like four more movies before, like, do you really need to see Jamie Lee Curtis go head to head against Michael Myers one more time? You know, anyway. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's just, maybe this is just me being a, a fanboy and a plebe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is what I wanted to see. And I was very upset that I didn't get that. <laughs> it's like, I was promised, you know? Yeah. I, I just, you know, I, like, I don't Go ahead. Oh no. I remember seeing the trailer before it came out. <clears throat> and I remember there was the scene where like, I feel like David Gordon Green tried to kind of preface the film with this trailer that came out where like, you see, you see that this hand on the door and it's like Corey's hand. Right. And it's all young. And then later on, you see the very last shot in the original trailer is like Jamie Lee jabs the knife into Michael's old hand. And so I feel like in the trailer, they're trying to get you to see that there's something else or whatever. But I feel like, Cause when I saw that, I was like, oh man, this is going to be cool now. But I think everybody was like, what? <laughs> so I don't know. What do you, wait, well, here's the thing. I don't watch trailers. I refuse <laughs> to watch trailers yeah, and I'll yeah. tell you why. Um, because of, of, uh, uh, pet cemetery, the, the remake that came out in 2018. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when they completely just ruined the twist about how it's it's not Gage, it's Ellie that dies and comes back. When they, re- I, I was livid, I was furious. My yeah. gosh, I wanted, it. I, 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 oh, I was, I yeah. still get mad about it when I think about it. So uh, because yeah. of that, I will not watch trailers anymore. Absolutely refuse to. Yeah, I'm I still not- have not seen a single trailer for Saw X, and I'm so excited for that movie. I haven't seen either. You know, uh, you know, I saw, I, I, we were on tour, and I saw the first one in the theater. And I really love the first one a lot. You know, we just kind of went as like, oh, it's something, you know, to check out. But I just, I love the first one. And then they made like 10 more after that. So, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I, I called the film Final Summer as a joke, really. Because I was like, well, what if, yeah, what if there's eight, eight more of these stupid things? <laughs> Final Summer Part 5. <laughs> oh, I know, right? I was, I kind of did it as a little bit of a joke, but also like, you know, I mean, maybe I could sell it off after two and then, you know, go make other films or something. So it was kind of like, you know, maybe, you know, just a little hope, hopeful, you know, just the uh, irony there. I don't know. So <laughs> I, I do like the concept of a potential title being uh, Final Summer, The Final Summer. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, yeah, because I've had some people have riffed on that title so many times now with like the, the jokes on the seagulls and stuff. It's kind of fun, but I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for where it's going to go. I think that I think once people see the, the teaser, they're kind of kind of get where we're going with it, you know, and, and I think that they'll be kind of like, OK, this is not just a summer camp thing, you know, and so. So that was, so I'm excited for that, you know, again, you know, the, the thing with the summer camp is like, I, I love, I always, I love the summer camp slashers anyway, but then it was also mm-hmm. during COVID. So it was a perfect place for all of us to go that was isolated so we could shoot a film, you know? And so the, so it was kind of like part of the thing too, you know, it was like, was the whole setting itself. So it made for a perfect place that I've just 
no one's ever been able to let me live down <laughs> since which is fine so well like anyway. like i said i'm really excited to see where this all goes yeah. um uh, we've, we, so we've been at this for almost, almost an hour now. I do have a couple more things to ask you. Uh, just kind of uh, random questions that I, I, I had thought of. Uh, let me pull them up here real quick. If my mouse decides to ever start working again. Oh, there it goes. Um, so if you had the opportunity, like if, if budget was no option and you had an infinite amount of resources, what is like a passion project that you would love to tackle? Oh, man. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I've got a couple of films that I want to do um, that are more drama, like indie drama kind of oriented that I'd love to do. I, I think the problem with all of those is like you need name talent to sell the film and you need to get into festivals and all that kind of stuff. So that would be, I think down the road, I'm kind of saving those for later because some of them are very personal. Some of them I think are really unique. Um, there's one about this guy who was like this 28 year old gas station attendant who pulled a uh, DB Cooper it's based on a real story, actually. It's like the funniest, most insane story. It's like the the most Coen Brothers movie that the Coen Brothers <laughs> made. And I shot a I shot a, like a sizzle reel for it because I just I just wanted to see because the the story is so funny and so crazy. So I think that would be that'd be one I want to do. It's a period film like set in the seventies. Um, I think that's that's kind of the thing. I, I love horror, but I love a lot of all kinds of movies too. Um, I think that that skyjacking one to me is so funny because kind of the, the idea I pitched was it's like After Hours meets Fargo. You know, if you ever seen Scorsese's After Hours, mm-hmm. yeah, that is so insane, right? And then of course you got Fargo with how crazy everything is. But the true story, you, you'll I'll have to send you the link to the story because this, this guy, uh, something Mc, McNally or something like that. But uh, it just, it's the funniest, craziest most like i can't believe this is real story ever and so anyway but someone's gonna go do it now and <laughs> but they won't do it right and I'm just kidding, so. yeah no just because someone does it doesn't mean you can't do it again and do yeah. it better right look at every horror movie <laughs> exactly i mean we're, we're we've just been waxing poetic about a uh, a summer camp movie with teens in the woods and so right, yeah, it's yeah, fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like how much more like what else could you possibly do i, I remember looking on amazon and i saw like 1999 entries for like a slasher film so i'm like all right what are we what are you possibly going to do to differentiate yourself it's it's like everything's been done and every time even on the second film i'm like oh yeah what about oh wait damn like that just happened you know like all of these things so it's fun to like it's kind of a nightmare to try to come up with an original idea. I think sometimes, you know, well, I mean, I I think, I think every movie needs the, that one scene, you know, when, um, when people go to the movie theaters and especially when they go like with friends and as they're leaving the theater, they talk about that one scene that happened. Um, I I think as long as a movie has like a, a few scenes, that are that are memorable and then that one scene that everyone's going to talk about i think that that, that's kind of enough to set a movie apart because if if no one has that one scene then everything is forgettable absolutely everything yeah um and and your movie has a few scenes that i absolutely love uh there's that one scene uh where a character 
kind of squares up with the killer. Yeah. And he's like, come on, let's go, motherfucker. And then immediately regrets that decision. I, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's also, oh, yeah. Sorry. So, uh, well, there's also uh, a, 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 an incredibly hilarious pool noodle scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, I grew up with, I had two older cousins, uh, Doug and Tim, and they would talk all the time about a lot of films from the 80s, a lot of slasher films. And I specifically remember hearing Tim coming back from some film, he'd be like, oh, dude, when he hit him with the, with the thing, and oh, it was so funny. And they'd be laughing about this stuff. And so I remember thinking about them sometimes in those scenes when we were shooting them or in the script, even like, I got to get that scene because I want to. Because I, I would have his voice in my head coming back from like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and oh, dude, when he, all this stuff. And so we did a hollow, we did a, a, a drive in premiere. We actually screened opposite Halloween Ends on the opening night of Halloween Ends. And I was freaked out because I was like, oh, we're going to get crushed by Halloween Ends. But I, they came down to the, the screening. And after it, my cousin both they both came up and they were talking about the film, just like how I'd heard them talk about all these other films. And so that, it's probably the greatest compliment I'll ever get of my film ever is just hearing them laugh and talk about the pool noodle or they're like, you know, like, let's dance motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, that's, that's probably the greatest moment of the whole journey is just listening to them say the same kind of stuff, you know, can't, you can't top that. I think. I don't know. So. Absolutely, man. And well, like I said, there's a lot of really good things in the movie. Um, I really hope that listeners check it out and, you know, you can get some momentum uh, past this movie because, you know, we, I, I, I want this movie to really be something. Oh, um, I, I think the movie could be something. Um, you as a filmmaker, uh, I think, have uh, an incredibly bright future uh, with uh, limitless potential. I really want to see where your career goes. Uh, and I'm not I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass or anything. I, I, I really honestly believe that. Oh, I think this you know, I, movie. Sorry, sorry you're saying uh, this, uh, this. This movie every single year, uh, my co-host Ashley and I we we make a list of top ten movies of the year. And this movie, although I'm not gonna lie, it's not up in contention for number one. Oh, yes. um, but it, it 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 is definitely in contention for my top ten mm-hmm. of the year. And it's not just because I haven't seen a lot of movies that have come out this year. Um, but because it is literally legitimately been one of my favorite movies that has come out this year. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. It means a lot. I think I just had a hell of a crew. They had a lot of heart and uh, amazing cast. And um, despite every, like you said, despite everything that got thrown our way, somehow we are here and I'm talking to you and that's a miracle. So, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So I just want to say, you know, thank you, you know for taking a chance on our film even, you know, so. No, absolutely, man. Um, well, okay. I, I do have one last question. If you'll humor me. Sure. Um, if I, I, now I don't know how you feel about horror remakes, um, but regardless of how you feel about horror remakes, if you had the opportunity to remake any movie, what would it be and why? Ooh, that's a tough one. Cause I, I think, um, <laughs> I would, I think I would love Nightmare on Elm Street, but I think the problem is, is that Robert England is Nightmare on Elm Street. You know what I mean? Like, I think 
he is so tied to that and it's he's what makes that great so so that's a tough one um i think sometimes it's like you look back at some of the oh i know um probably the howling because i love i love how they set the howling up was great how they're going at it from like this like uh investigative journalist a serial killer thing was such a cool idea and then went kind of into this like hippie cult kind of thing hippie commune but i feel like the original direction of that was awesome and i think you know because it's i think with american werewolf and you know all that kind of stuff or like um what's the other one that uh uh came out a couple years ago with the uh not uh benito del toro we played uh oh the wolf the Wolfman, they get very like kind of Baroque and Gothic and stuff, but I feel like the howling would be pretty awesome to do in a very gritty, dark seven kind of a way. You know what I mean? Like just, oh. you know, like let's ditch the commune thing all together. Let's keep it to the serial killer thing. So you really, you really want to lean into that police procedural type story? I think it was, I think it, plus I think with like the, with the, I already feel like I know who I would cast for like the, the D Wallace, you know, role, <laughs> but I think, I, I think there's a grittiness to, I love the direction of it. And I felt like when they switched it up and threw us to the commie and I feel like it didn't, it was, it was just a different direction. I think that the, the filmmaker chose and that was fine. But I, I think I'd be interested in doing more of the serial killer thing. Cause I think that sounds kind of fascinating for it, for it to flip and be the reveal that it's the werewolf. And then you're in a different world altogether, but you're still, in the world of horror versus hippie communes and like you know all this kind of like sex stuff or whatever i don't know <laughs> i like halloween I, or the howling a lot i mean was it joe dante did the howling right yeah and then it had like amazing like special effects for was it i, think, I forget it was like rick baker or the other guy but uh there were two that were amazing there was like rick baker and then there was like the other person who did oh uh uh rob Bodker or something. I forget that he did all the stuff for the thing too, but uh, awesome too. I don't know. What about you? What would you remake? Oh, uh, you know, I don't, no one's ever asked me that. Uh, I mean, Halloween, let's see. Right? Um, <laughs> no, Halloween, no. Like what? Uh, anyway. I, oh, so. you know what? Uh, John, John Carpenter's in the mouth of madness. I feel like the um, people kind of sleep on it. Those, I mean, the movie does have fans, but uh, for the most part, a lot of people don't view that as highly as a lot of Carpenter's early work in the in the eighties. Yeah. So I feel like uh, that 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 movie yeah. is well is well well known enough to where it could be, uh, uh, you know, you know, fans of the movie would be intrigued. But it's not so beloved that it's like tipping over a sacred cow to say right. that. It, it, it would be remade. Uh, plus, I think there's the story itself is so dang cool um, that it could be retold through not just a literary genre like the original one, but maybe uh, through cinematic genre, you know, and yeah. it could be a filmmaker instead of an author. Uh, hell, it could even be based off of video games or fucking YouTube channels. <laughs> like the, 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 the the range of media that we ingest has just grown so exponentially large. It could be about anything. It doesn't have to be about books. So I, I think okay. that would be a great movie to remake. Yeah. 
and I love Sam Neill in that one too. That one's really great. You know, I think it's, there's something that's like, I feel like in the mid nineties, you know, cause it's like right before, you know, like they were lighting a lot of these films kind of like too bright in a way sometimes, or they kind of break into a little bit of a cheese kind of a thing. And mm-hmm. so I feel like it would be fun to revisit them with more like, you know, cause like when you watch like the original scream, it's like that thing is lit within an inch of its life at night. You know, it's like you're at night, but it's like, <laughs> it's like you might as well be on a football field you know it's not very dark at all and so i think it'd be fun yeah. is it just to revisit them from a technical th- place where you could kind of bring the levels down you could make it grittier darker all these kinds of things you know um because i think sometimes it's just like the technical limitations of the time but <clears throat> it's funny I, I just watched final exam that 80s slasher film that i love and i watched it on my big screen down here and i was kind of blown away to see oh wow like they had like a, Ch- a Chapman dolly, which is this one dolly I've worked on a couple of times, a couple of films that had. And, and but you, you don't really think about like sometimes you, like the way that they would do the pans into these other kind of the blocking or whatever. So I think like when you look at some of these films that get panned a lot, it's like, oh, it's a piece of crap or whatever, you know, like you see like, oh, wow, this had a lot of thought and intention behind it. And I think it's because we don't really get a chance to see them on a big screen as much. And so you're watching mm-hmm. them on a TV or your iPhone. And so you're not seeing all of the, you know, like how they're blocking the scene or how they're one character goes to this other. So I don't know. It's just interesting to revisit them. A lot of these films that are kind of critically panned or whatever, but you start to see like, like the construction of them. And it's, it's kind of fascinating. So anyway, anyway, I could talk all day about this stuff, but. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the use of like, um, the, the, the creation of the tiny screens, you know, the tablet screen, the iPhone screen, you know, the, the mobile phone, or maybe watching a movie on, the, on a Switch or whatever the hell. Yeah. Um, I think those screens are very detrimental to one's enjoyment or possible enjoyment of a film. <laughs> I think so much is lost in translation because when, when filmmakers, and I don't know about modern filmmakers um, so much, but you know, when, when people were making movies, um, it didn't matter if they were making it for uh, a, a theatrical release or a drive-in release. You know, the idea was th- their their picture was going to be projected larger yeah. than life and it was going to encompass the entirety of one's visual ratio. Yeah. And to reduce that into a little... 5.5 inch screen in yeah. your hand is is so sad to me. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I will watch movies like not well, not really movies. I will watch things like that, um, but never a movie that I, I I'm watching for the first time, and almost never a movie for the podcast. It's I will always make time to watch it on like my projector <laughs> screen that's over 100 inches or. Uh, 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 my big screen TV in my bedroom. Uh, I, I'll save the the phone or the tablet for like TV shows that I've seen a thousand times. Yeah, like this yeah, morning, yeah. I was making breakfast while I was watching uh, Dan Harmon's Community uh, playing on my tablet, just off to the side because I've seen that in the entirety of that show yeah. hundreds of times. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's funny because you know, being in ba- when I was in bands, we used to have to do the, the the car test, the car radio test, where you'd you know we'd record on this awesome gear, and then you'd have to go listen to your car just to make sure it sounded good. And then then that became the iPhone test, where you listen to it on your crappy iPhone. And now it's like it's kind of crazy to think that we do that with film now, 
because I think just, you know, to go to like even like the thing that we did with the, when we did the 5-1 mix and the stereo mix, like I wanted the camp to feel like you were there, you know, so even at the end of the film, there's like helicopters going overhead, it's like, blah, 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 like kind of a thing. And you just don't get that sensation of it when you're just watching on your iPhone, like you should be immersed in all of that stuff, you know, just, just otherwise you're missing out on all, so much like great like when <clears throat> like Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, they do like the soundtracks and scores for some of these movies and the sound design, you know, it's such a big thing too, it's, which, and, and to go to horror, sorry, I'm, you're getting me all, I'm, oh yeah. But uh, with horror, it's like sounds, <laughs> horror is such a huge part of it. I feel like horror is 80% sound, you know? And so to, to, to have it on your iPhone, you're missing so much to where like, you're like, well, this obviously sucks, you know, cause you're watching on this, you know? And, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be like one, you know, hundredth of what of the impact of seeing it with the lights off, with the music loud, you know. I mean, my when I watch downstairs, it's like the whole house like rattles and shakes, you know, from <laughs> the bass frequency. Anyway, I, I, I'll talk about this forever, but I should probably should get going. <laughs> I, no, get I, I, I get it. Watching watching a movie on your phone is like the hand job equivalency of like <laughs> a, a movie, a cinematic experience, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a funny way to describe. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Well, uh, uh, John, thank you, thank you so much uh, for your time and for this interview. Listeners, please, please check out Final Summer. Um, I, I, I promise you, you'll at least enjoy the experience, if not absolutely love the movie. Um, but either way, uh, please help us support uh, John and his team and his crew. Uh, and everyone that was involved in the production of this movie, because we always need to support indie filmmakers and genre filmmakers, and we need to do everything we can to keep horror alive. So, uh, listeners, please, please, please check out uh, Final Summer, and also let us know what you think, um, uh, and follow John uh, in his endeavors, and 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 uh, keep track of his career. Uh, John, throw out your plugs and where the listeners can follow you uh, to. Yeah, we're on, uh, I guess. We're on uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Final Summer Movie. And that is where you find me. So thank you. <laughs> so thanks again Absolutely. so much. You know, it's great talking to you. Thank you so much. It's fun to meet you at, at a Horror Hound. It's been cool to catch up to you. So appreciate everything. So thanks again. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. And and I I do have your poster. That's oh, the poster you gave me. Um, and I, I, I have it in a frame. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Awesome. Thanks, man. I just think something, you know, it, one of a kind. <laughs> it is. It's it's going to go up on my wall of uh, autograph posters and memorabilia. So um, that's exciting. But yeah. uh, again, thank you so much. And, um, uh, I, I guess we'll just I don't really I this is only the second episode of this new segment so I don't really have a way to sign off yet but um, yeah thank you for your time man alright thank you guys have a good night thanks everybody for listening thanks man yeah. I'll talk to you later thank you